Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Welcome to Military Network Radio. We are so glad that you've joined us this morning. We have a very good show this morning for you that I think will bring a lot of light to people that are unaware of these options. We're going to be talking today about veterans treatment courts, which have evolved from the first, they're called VTC, Veteran Treatment Court, in Buffalo in 2008 to nationwide today and growing. This came about because one in five vets from the current conflicts have cognitive impairment and one in six have a substance abuse issue. And we all know that untreated or unmanaged PTSD, TBI, MST, and other behavioral issues may lead to legal offenses. And this is an alternative where mentoring, coordinated health care, and court participation is seen as a better alternative than incarceration. So I'm very fortunate to have a co-host who is JAG. Justin Constantine is on with us today. Good morning, Justin. Good morning. It's great to be here again. Yes, I'm delighted to be having you on the show this morning. It's been a while since we've spoken together. Our guest today is DJ Reyes, retired colonel, U.S. Army, who is the senior veteran mentor and the program coordinator for the 13th Judicial Circuit Veterans Treatment Court. That's a long thing to say. It's a volunteer veteran mentor program. And DJ has stories for us, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, the way it manages our veterans in a way that is compassionate, but also very firm and a strong regimen. So without further ado, let's have DJ Reyes join us. Good morning, DJ. Well, good morning, Linda, and good morning, Justin. Thank you so much for having me uh, on your show. I'm honored to be here and to share some thoughts with all of you. Well, we are very glad to have you. So let's start with a little bit about you. Tell us you, your background, and how did you become involved with the Veterans Treatment Court, the VTC? Sure. Um, Like many of us and probably like many of the viewers, um, I served in the military. Uh, I first started serving because I was an Army brat. My dad was a 25-year veteran, both of the Korean and Vietnam Wars. Uh, when I went to college, I uh, was blessed to attend and graduate from the University of Notre Dame. In 1979, I graduated, and I was commissioned um, as a lieutenant under the ROTC program. Um, I was also, during the time I was in, I, I also received my Juris Doctor degree in law from Temple University School of Law in 82, and then later on, my Master of Arts in National Security and Strategic Studies at the U.S. Naval War College. Mm -hmm. I spent over 33 years in active duty in both military intelligence and special operations units and have several one-year tours in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other global contingencies. Um, I've been blessed with a, a variety of staff and command jobs up to brigade command and I've served on the Joint Staff, but most importantly, I served with this nation's greatest treasures, young men and women who rose their right hand to serve and to defend our Constitution and our way of life. Absolutely wonderful, and we are so glad that you have continued to serve, helping, mentoring, and supporting our troops who run into some issues. So can you tell us how you became involved First, 
if I didn't do justice to the definition of Veterans Treatment Court, please add to that. And then talk to us about how you became involved with it. Wow. Okay. So um, I'm going to have to answer that a little bit in the reverse order of what you just asked, Linda. (laughs) That's fine. fine. Um, Only because I have to chronologically kind of go through this in my head. And uh, I'll try to make this as short as possible. The bottom line is I when I retired in April of 2013, I just happened to be watching a television series, an ABC 2020 special at night. And it was about this veterans court in Texas, which actually dealt with veterans in trouble with the law. And it just quite honestly, it fascinated me. And so long story short, I asked a very good lawyer friend of mine in Tampa and I asked him, can you find out if we have one of these in, in Tampa? Now, this was back in September of 2013, around that time. Mm-hmm. He found it. Um, although it was not officially stood up, I, I did have an opportunity to talk to the eventual first and founding judge of Tampa's VTC, and that was Judge Richard Weiss. At that time, when I went to see him in, in his chambers, he told me he had not yet had the judicial order passed to enact it. He had no staff. He had no money. He had no mentors. And to kickstart it, he had six defendants on his docket, and they had various uh, misdemeanor charges. So then he said, hey, what a great deal. Would you like to join me in this endeavor? And of course, like any good soldier, I said, yes, I want the challenge. I want to jump on that opportunity. And so I did. And and so we've been doing this now for almost three years. Now, going back to your other question with regards to the Veterans Treatment Court, um, I first have to say that uh, when I do describe it, I'm going to use the pronoun he for simplicity's sake. But as we all know, for the record, the VTC helps both male and female veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a male veteran only social issue that we're dealing with here. We have uh, females as well. But to go back to the philosophy of the VTC, it's very simple. If you look at the name and the middle word, it's called treatment. Mm-hmm. And so that is what's really, really important about this is I'll highlight later on. It's about treatment and rehabilitation versus punishment. So specifically, uh, to us, the VTC centers around the identification and treatment of disorders disabilities or conditions using what we call the whole of community approach and leveraging all of our resources here from local, community, regional, state, and national with the end state of successful rehabilitation and the eventual community reintegration back into the veterans' families and their loved ones as a contributing member of society again. So the bottom line, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make that veteran whole as possible when they leave our our court system. Makes complete sense because they've been under some unique circumstances and this unique court helps them. I think it is important for people to understand too that the structure is not a simple let's skip giving you punishment. It is definitely a similar military structure in terms of how it is is stood up and managed, but it it is also very strictly managed and mentored. Can you talk about that too? Because there are critics who would say, well, you know, they did the crime, they need to pay for it. And how is this different? And how do you answer those detractors? Uh, Well, there are several, if I may, there are several similarities and differences of the Veteran Treatment Court with what a normal person would view a regular court process. Okay. If I could just cover that very quickly. So on the onset, when you see the Veterans Treatment Court, it's very similar to a regular court system. You have, of course, you have a judge, you have a state or a district attorney that represents the people or the state. You have a public defender that represents the defendant. 
And then, of course, you have uh, in the criminal court system, you have a probation officer as part of the Department of Corrections. That's where all the similarities end, because if you were to sit in a VTC and there's over 350 of these courts in over 36 states, as, as I speak today, you will see the differences really reflect the manner in which the players play their roles as well as additional players that are introduced in this equation. So if I may very, very quickly, when you look at the judge who is the centerpiece of this entire court, he plays a positively engaged role with each and every defendant. In fact, he knows a lot about the veteran, his history, his treatments, and oftentimes personal data about him, like his family. Mm-hmm. And he's very involved with, with the veteran. The state attorney and the PD, the public defender, they work together both in and out of court collaboratively, not adversarially, as you would normally see in a, a normal uh, court process. In fact, very rarely will you hear objections from other sides during the VTC itself. Rather, there exists a collegial atmosphere mm-hmm. with all focus on the veteran and how to help him or get better. There is also an additional player known as the VA Justice Outreach Officer or VJO. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This person actually sits in court with us, is the VA rep, and most importantly, has real-time access to the veterans' records and histories of treatments. This VJO also responds directly to the judge when the judge has questions, and more specifically, when the judge mandates various assessments and treatments to be done with the VA. And then finally, and this goes to your question, Linda, and I'm sorry it takes me a while to, to get to your question, but the, the final component of the VTC is what Judge Russell of the Buffalo Veterans Treatment Court called many years ago the secret sauce of the VTC, and that is the volunteer veteran mentors. Mm-hmm. These are mentors such as myself who give of their own time and effort on a volunteer basis to act as big brothers or sisters to encourage, assist, and if necessary, give a quick uh, kick up the backside of many of these veterans to ensure that they comply with the court mandated orders. It is this synergism, this orchestra headed by the judge, which quite honestly is a symphony. It's beautiful and it's leveraged and it really results in a high success rate for our veterans graduating the course. Fantastic. Could you give us an example of one of the typical cases you see in your VTC? Linda, there are no typical cases. Okay, good there, answer. Okay. There, 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 there is, unlike the military, there is no one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, each and every veteran is unique in their own uh, situation. Um, I can cover a couple examples, if you will, that have personally touched me. Um, but what I'd like to do is first say, with regards to the various types of symptoms disorders and disabilities, what we're seeing. Uh, We're seeing these days more and more because of the global war, we're seeing more cases of veterans that are exhibiting PTSD, Mm -hmm. uh, traumatic brain injury, alcohol and substance abuse, um, and also MST, military sexual trauma. And I know you covered this in an earlier segment. Uh, For all of these, and oh, by the way, both male and female for Mm -hmm. MST, we're dealing with all of these. But to go back to your original question of examples, if I may, uh, I've had so many that I can cover in, in uh, 
I'd like to talk about a couple of them very, very quickly. DJ, we have less than 30 seconds. So okay. um, could you just tell us the uh, tops of trees in terms of what they were there for? And then after the break, we will come back and you can tell your story. Absolutely. I'd love to hear them. Sure. The three examples are one that has to do with a, a veteran who had PTSD. And as a mentor, my ability to communicate and to get in touch with him and to help him through his struggles the mm-hmm. second has to do with a, a very recent case ongoing right now with a veteran with PTSD and substance abuse and the struggles of success and then failure and relapses. And then the third has to do with overall. DJ, our- we have to save the third. We will be right okay. back after these messages. You're listening to Military Network Radio. Thank you. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. the first item ever sold on eBay? Believe it or not, it was a broken laser pointer sold in September 1995 for $14.83. The founder of eBay asked the buyer if he knew the laser pointer was broken when he bought it. The owner simply said, I'm a collector of broken laser pointers. Seems pointless to me, but this seemingly worthless item was a bellwether of merchandise to follow. Here are some Jifu jets or other unnecessary items that have been sold on eBay. Some goostrum noodles will buy anything, even a cornflake. Yes, a cornflake shaped like the state of Illinois, sold for about $1,350. What was one of the most expensive eBay.com purchases? A $140 million yacht. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're talking to DJ Reyes today about Veterans Treatment Courts. And before the break, we had to cut you off for time. You were talking about the third type of person that you have seen. And then we'll go into some of those stories, DJ. Uh, Yes, thank you very much, Linda. The third example really goes to the very issue of uh, the judicial interpretation of a VTC judge's jurisdictional uh, discretionary authorities, if you will, as he or she is handling these cases. And we're seeing some interesting developments, not only here in Tampa, but also a recent one in Cumberland County, uh, which is in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So for my first example, if you will, um, I'd 
this was my very first veteran that I handled two years ago. And the good news is he's already. I hate to cut you off, but before we get, I, I really want to hear the personal stories. And I'm sure our, our listeners do too. But before we do that, would you mind just explaining for those who aren't familiar with VTCs is why they exist? We talked about there is PTSD and TBI and MST out there, but why, why are they in existence and um, why are veterans gaining these courts themselves? Yes. Thanks, Justin. Great, great question. So as as Linda said earlier, in 2008, uh, Honorable, the Honorable uh, Russell from the Buffalo Veterans Treatment Court uh, in Buffalo, New York, noticed that he was um, handling a lot of veterans. A lot of them were Vietnam veterans that just kept coming back to court, basically. They were recidivists. They kept coming back, and he realized there was something wrong. What's going on? Why do these veterans keep coming back to court? Why do they have these issues? Why are many of them homeless? And it was through that that he actually had some Vietnam veterans that were actually in court that actually saw this and witnessed this. Patrick, Dr. Patrick Welch uh, is one of them. Jack O'Connor is another one. They're the founders. And they basically said, hey, you know, we need to do something about this. And so what they did was they formed this voluntary mentor court where they actually met with the judge and they said, look, what better way to help these um, veterans with these issues than other veterans who can understand what they went through, especially with combat, especially with a lot of the trauma. And through that, based in 2008, it has grown to the Veterans Treatment Court program as you as you uh, see today. It has formalized itself. It, it follows the drug court model under the National Association for Drug Courts Professional. And so we follow those policies as well. But like I said earlier, it has now been formalized uh, codified, and now it's spread to over 350 uh, jurisdictions in over 36 states. Okay, and these are typically um, veterans who hadn't gotten in trouble before, um, you know, deployment or, or other issues, right? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, that probably leads to the question of how do you even get into this court? Um, there are actually three requirements for you to get in this court. Uh, one, you have to be a veteran of course, which means that you have to have served um, in um, military, one of the military uh, services. Number two, the veteran has to prove either an honorable discharge or a general under honorable conditions. Okay. And then number three, and this one's the most important, Justin, they have to show that the criminal action that they committed um, has some sort of service connection with some sort of disorder, disability, or malady that they incurred while they were in military service. So those are how, the three how, conditions. How do they do that? They do that through uh, when they're when they're when they first come into the criminal system. We have a case manager from the public defense defender's office that actually screens them to see first, hey, are you a veteran? If you are, show me proof. And the biggest proof, of course, the main proof is your DD two fourteen. Once they establish that then um, they're, uh, they're apply into the, the VTC court system whereby the state and the public defender also review the case. They review the criminal action to see that it falls within our jurisdictional authorities. And I will tell you for Tampa, uh, Judge Gregory P. Holder, our VTC judge, has both civil and criminal authorities with criminal authorities going up to third degree felonies. Once they make that cut, then the third and the most difficult then is to show the service connection. That is something that happened in their past. Um, and a lot of that comes out with interviews, uh, not only with the veteran, but then the judge can actually mandate them to get an assessment at the VA 
to determine if they have any of the disorders or maladies. Once that's settled, then the, the judge will bring the veteran into the court and then ask the veteran himself if he chooses, because it's voluntary, if he chooses to enter into the veterans treatment court. If he does, of course, then he comes into our system and he's assigned a veteran mentor amongst everything else and all the other resources that are available to him. Okay, well, thanks for that uh, detailed answer. It clears up a little bit for me. And I do want to move on to the three examples you have. But I just want to comment that it sounds like this is such a personal um, process, that this is uh, very one-on-one, -on -one and, and that's not unlike any other successful uh, uh, organization or, or initiative dealing with veterans or maybe any other group because everyone's circumstances are different. Mm -hmm. They need personalized attention and care. This is for caregivers and family members as well. Um, so it's, I'm really encouraged to hear what a personal role everyone on all sides of the, this equation plays. So with that in mind, let's hear about the three cases you were talking about. A absolutely. And so for my first example, I'm going to use my very first veteran over two years ago that has since graduated. He was my first veteran that I helped graduate. Um, let me just tell you about him just a little bit. He was he was a good veteran. He was an Army veteran. He was a medic. Um, he was very polite, but he was one of few words, and he just didn't share his thoughts. And I had a difficulty for the first four months actually really establishing a communications, a, a bond, a relationship with him. But it happened one Friday night in which he texted me when I was watching television with my wife, he texts me on my phone and he tells me, hey, check out this website. So I check out the website and what it was, was a memoriam website posted by the parents of a fallen army soldier who died in the early phases of OIF in Iraq. On the website was a blog where people could uh, share their thoughts and their prayers with the family. But what was interesting was that the first entry on the blog was a blog, was a comment put in by my veteran. And he says this, dear parents, not a day goes by that I don't think of your son. In fact, not a day goes by where I don't see his face. You see, I was the medic in the battle that took the life of your son. And I was the medic and held him in my arms and spoke with him until we could get the medevac out there to get him out into the combat hospital. I was the last face that he saw before he passed away. We couldn't save him. He died on the battlefield before we evacuated him. I ask myself every day what more I could have done. I tried the best I could, but somehow I cannot shake the feeling that he would have been alive if I did more. I am so sorry for his death. I ask you to forgive me. Now the father of the slain soldier responded back and said that his son was in a better place right now. And then he also said he was comforted in knowing that the veteran was with him during this period. And then he finally said to the veteran, that it's not up to the family to forgive the veteran, but for the family had the strength of faith in God. Rather, the father asked the veteran to forgive himself. I guess the lesson that I learned on this very first case that I had was that we all as mentors, we all as a community, we must be cognizant of, we may not understand it all, but we must be cognizant of the inner turmoil that many of our veterans are coping with. With these disabilities and this disorder, and it's so important for the mentors to establish quickly trust, communication and respect as the bond with these mentors, because we have found over the last three years, oftentimes it is that relationship that is the crucible, that is the, the tipping point 
to get that, that veteran over the hump and to graduate and to rehabilitate. That's my first example. Do we have time for another example? Well, of course we do. And that was a perfect example to really show some of the turmoil that does go on. I think so few people really think about it. They watch the television and do not see the inner turmoil the way you're describing. So I'm grateful for that story. Can you tell us your second one? I sure can. This one, Linda and Justin, is most recent. In fact, it was just last week. It involves a veteran rated by the VA 100% PTSD and also with serious substance abuse and specifically heroin. Now, I will tell you, he's had so many struggles, but the good news is with all the combined therapies and support leveraged in this community to help him, he was well on his way to full recovery and graduation. He's been with us for almost a year now. In fact, he was scheduled to graduate at the last VTC on the 10th of uh, June. However, a week before, he literally fell off the grid and he lost communications with me. So the long story short is that he had a relationship problem. And we see this a lot with a lot of our veterans where they have relationship problems. In this case, his girlfriend emptied out his entire checking account while he was in a residential treatment facility. So this tipping point was enough to make him spiral out of control, cut off communications with everybody, even me, and fall back into heroin use. I finally heard from him by email last week at 1.55 in the morning. From that time until 6.30 that morning, I was able to figure out enough information from him talking on an email, communicating, as to what part of town he was walking around. Two hours later, I was able to physically find him. I ensured he was physically safe. I got him in my car, and I transported him back to the last residential treatment that he was at. During this time, I was in constant touch with the VTC judge, the public defender, and the hospital's admissions director. Mm -hmm. Now, this veteran committed this same behavior previously, so we were all relieved that he had the presence of mind to at least reach out to me on an email before a more serious situation could have occurred. The lesson I learned from this one, Linda and Justin, is that although veterans can do well in this in this court with all of the resources, it's going to happen. There's going to be relapses, especially those with dual diagnoses that involve substance abuse. And this was one of them. It was very disheartening. He was within days of graduating and he just, it was enough of a tipping point. And that told us we've got a long way to go. And so now he's okay. He's back in the residential treatment and, um, but we're still working with him. You know, we have only a minute left, so I'd like to save your next story for afterward. I'm just going to ask a quick question, and if you could just give a brief answer. I imagine that by your helping the veteran, the family itself is grateful for the interventions because no doubt they have also tried. Is that correct? That, That is correct. And in fact, this involves, as you just said, not only the veterans, but their entire family. We're involved with girlfriends, wives, children, parents, you name, close friends of the family. So this this truly is a family affair. Uh, perfect answer. We'll come back after the break. You are listening to Military Network Radio. We're talking about Veterans Treatment Courts today with DJ Reyes, and we will be back after these short messages. Talk with you soon. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. 
traditional American breakfast, including fried egg, bacon, toast, and potatoes, must seem really heavy to the rest of the world. When my husband and I were in the Amazon, our breakfast consisted of crocodile, deep-fried piranha, and bananas. I can assure you, I ate pretty lightly. For breakfast in Russia, some people enjoy a spoonful of jam in their tea. Now, that sounds yummy. What's a word for a person who loves jam? A paziwala. What's another word for weak tea? Whack rowdy dow. Salamagundi was originally an English dish of chopped meat, anchovies, and eggs, garnished with onions, lemon juice, oil, and condiments. Mornings at our house are too hectic to go to all that trouble for breakfast. I'm scrambling just to get some eggs on the table. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion about the Veteran Treatments Court. Tre- veteran Treatment Court. Sorry about that. We are talking earlier about the two examples you had, and all of which are showing the trust that is so critical, the communication and the respect between all of the players. You have a third example you were going to share with us, DJ. Uh, yes, Linda, and that is that goes towards the the greater issue, and it's evolving at this point with regards to how the judiciary, the judicial courts, interpret the dis- jurisdictional and discretional, uh, discretionary authorities of a VTC judge. Um, two examples, uh, one involving our Tampa Bay judge right now, uh, Judge Holder, who I, I have to tell you, he is absolutely the right person with the qualities and the knowledge and the breadth and the scope, not only of the law, but of, of the military as a West Point graduate and a 29-year uh, retired military judge. He brings so much value added to this court system because of his influence and his knowledge. He is very aggressive. His singular focus is to help rehabilitate and treat these veterans. But I will tell you that as we develop the VTCs and the the rules, if you will, for the judges throughout the nation, I think that the courts uh, will have to... um, think through the process with regards to how much do they want the VTC judges really to handle uh, with regards to this whole program. And so that's one one issue that we're dealing with right now, especially with Judge Holder. Another case that I would like to highlight, and it was it actually went viral, was of another VTC judge in Cumberland County, North Carolina, home of Fort Bragg, where there's a judge there, uh, Judge Lou Oliveira, 
who had a similar case, just like Judge Holder, with regards to one of the veterans, a Green Beret with PTSD. In this case, Judge Oliveira sentenced the, uh, the veteran to jail, put him in jail, but in a very unusual step that was applauded by most. The day that he sentenced the, uh, the veteran into jail, he then that evening, he joined the veteran in jail. That is, he sat with him in the cell the whole night. And what he did was he sat and he talked to him and they talked about everything. And so when he was interviewed later on this, on why he did this, he said very simply, this is my role. This is what I'm supposed to do as a judge. I'm here to treat and to rehabilitate. That's what this court system is all about. And so I guess the lesson I have learned in this is as we evolve in this court process, we have to learn, and the judiciary in particular, the court system and the legislature has to really come to grips with, you know, the authorities and the parameters of a VTC judge. And of course, what is the goal and what's the objective for that judge in helping to treat these veterans? It seems as though there is an enormous amount of latitude. And as you say, it's going to need to evolve along as the process itself evolves. With 350 courts now in 36 states, it begs the obvious question, what is holding up adding veterans courts in the remaining states? I'm not so sure that there's anything that's really holding it up as so much as there are there are people out there that, quite honestly, either haven't heard of the Veterans Treatment Court, um, you know, they don't know enough about it. And so I've always believed in education and advocacy. And so because of that, at least here in Tampa, the judge and I have taken the circuit, if you will. Uh, we've made the rounds. Uh, we've spoken before uh, various community organizations, local law schools and universities and such, and to educate folks. I think as a byproduct of that, we've one of the windfalls is that we've received a lot of uh, positive uh, feedback and support. And in fact, in our court system, we've actually received uh, support from non-veterans who have actually wanted to become part of this uh, program, part of this process, uh, whether it's supporting us with IT support or graphic support, administrative support, or even facilities where we've had a couple of local universities provide us their university and space so that our senior mentors can actually have meetings on Saturday afternoons. Now, it is also obvious that you are deeply involved. All the members of the, all the parties are deeply involved in this process. You, you as you said, that peers come together, etc. It is very important for those who are helping others to also receive help themselves. Do you feel as though the supportive network is there to support the team as well, who are, are listening and hearing hard things? And, and really experiencing a lot of um, energy drain, perhaps? So, Linda, if, if I may understand it, are you talking about the mentors themselves? I am. Yes. I am. So that's a very interesting question, and I'll tell you why. Because I think it ties into how, as the program manager, how do I go about assessing, identifying, assessing, and recruiting mentors? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you my very simple answer is this. Because many people have asked me, you have a – Pretty, Tampa has a pretty successful program. We have nearly 60 volunteer mentors. Um, how did you do that? How do you train these guys? And I will tell you this. They're all volunteers. They're all veterans. And what I do is I tap in on the very code of ethics and professionalism that all military men and women learn when they come into the military. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Now, the veteran mentors that we have, most of them are senior. Uh, we have a diverse crowd uh, that cover all the services, all of the ranks, and all of the experiences. But what's common to all of us is that we have the same code of professional ethics, uh, professionalism, and uh, experiences. And many of us have combat experience as well. And I think that's what's helped. In fact, I will tell you, we as a mentor, we as mentors are our own best support system. So we actually rely on each other um, and share ideas and experiences with each other. And it just, it really forms a team. And I will tell you, many mentors have said this to me. This is for, for those, especially like me that have since retired, we miss and long for that camaraderie again, mm -hmm. band of brothers and sisters. And this mentor program has in fact provided that to us where we can rally around each other. And by helping our fellow veterans, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guardsmen, we feel like we have a task, we have a purpose again, and we're helping others. DJ, I, uh, thank you for that. And I, I remember the story about that judge who sent, I read that article not mm -hmm. too long ago, who sent the night, and I thought that was, um, you know, fascinating, really. And I thought it was a great uh, symbolic gesture to other judges, but really to anyone who's in a leadership position with veterans or not, just displaying how the power that so many of us have to make a difference in each other's lives. So, um, yeah, I certainly, I certainly got a lot just from his his actions there. It's certainly above and beyond the call of duty. Question I have: You talked about graduation, so let's explore what that what that looks like, what it takes to graduate from the program. Okay, so when a veteran enters into the court. Uh, he's eligible for the court. He comes in. The judge will then determine, based on his uh, assessment from the VA, what his disorder disability is. The judge has a variety of things that he can do. He will, of course, um, issue or mandate certain types of VA treatments and therapies. Um, in, a, in addition to the VA, there are other community resources that he can avail himself to. Um, of course, uh, depending on the severity of the situation, will depend on how, how serious or how severe his probation is with regards to straight probation um, or community control. And then, of course, he will assign a mentor. And in the mentor, the men he, we have rules of engagement, if you will, Justin, on the number of times, the frequency, and what we talk about between the mentors and the veterans, uh, the do's and don'ts, if you will. But the bottom line is the mentor is not only the battle buddy for that veteran, but is also a, another way or another source for that judge to assess uh, the progress or the regress of that veteran. Because yeah. in the Veterans Treatment Court, and we meet uh, two Fridays a month, the veteran mentor goes before the judge along with the veteran. So when the judge speaks with the veteran, he will also speak to the veteran mentor. And as Judge Holder would always say, what says the mentor? And so we yeah. impart on the veteran the fact that we are an essential piece to this team, although we're volunteers, and the judge really, really listens to us. It is through this holistic approach and showing progress that uh, will greatly determine whether or not a veteran will, in fact, graduate from the program. Depending on the uh, depending on the charge as well, will depend on how long they'll be in the program. And they uh, typically have drug testing as well as part of that, right? Absolutely. Not only do they have. Um, um, unannounced uh, drug tests at the VA, at the various treatment sessions with the probation officer, but the judge himself will actually uh, conduct a urinalysis test or a drug test right there on the spot. He will just remove the veteran and take him to the back, and they'll test him right there at that point. 
Oh wow. Okay. And so, um, at the end, is there is there a, a fun, successful graduation? Is there a ceremony, or what does that look like? Yes. In fact, there are. Uh, there is. Um, upon successful uh, uh, completion of all the courses, and and just uh, let me just say this: every Thursday, there's a staff meeting in which the the judicial team meets and goes over the entire docket. And and if I didn't say so before, we have over a hundred defendant uh, cases on our on our docket right now. So we actually go through that uh, every other Thursday. And then if they're selected for graduation, the judge will come down from his seat and actually present a judicial certificate from the court to that veteran in front of everybody. And he'll say a few parting words. And then the veteran has the opportunity to address the judge, the staff, and all of the people in the veteran's treatment court. And I will tell you, it is quite the ceremony. It's very heartening. There's a lot of high fives and a lot of hugs. Yeah, I would, I would imagine it's pretty emotional. I remember even in, during court martials in the military, a lot of times, uh, and, and this is in the Marine Court, when the judge would sentence the Marine, if he was guilty, to a, a particular sentence, then off the record, he would uh, talk to him very personally about his thoughts about the crime, and but really more about his thoughts about that Marine's chances in rehabilitation and recognizing he made a mistake, but there are plenty of opportunities to, again, prove, prove himself. And so... I imagine this is somewhere where that, where that, this service member has now completed a really important part of their recovery and now can feel really good about that because of the personal touch. Absolutely, Justin. And just to, to let you know, just some of the metrics, right now we're currently experiencing an 88% uh, first-time graduation rate. That is 88% of our folks wow. that come through the program and graduate, they do not return. Fantastic. Yeah, and, that's an incredible number. And the, the remaining times, um, are there ever people who are truly recalcitrant and cannot be managed in this court, and are they then shifted to a general criminal court? Yes. In fact, um, one of my other cases that I had where um, a fellow service member just was having just a lot of difficulties, um, especially with drug abuse, and it was, quite honestly, it was – too much for us to handle and definitely too much for me to handle as his personal mentor. And he uh, very reluctantly, I told the judge from a mentor perspective, I, I wouldn't be able to handle this anymore with, with all of the other veterans that we had. Okay. We will be right back after these messages. We're military network radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. 
ladies, listen up. Did you know recent studies are suggesting that women with skinny waists but sizable hips are smarter than other women? Scientists at the University of Pittsburgh and the University of California gave cognitive tests to a group of 16,000 women and girls of different body types and found the women with the greatest hip-to-waist proportions scored higher. Hmm, I guess that would make me a walking encyclopedia Britannica. No, hold on. That doesn't mean it's okay for us to be a powder pigeon. That's another name for a woman whose sizable hips can take up a whole supermarket aisle. Research suggests that the fat around fuller hips and thighs holds higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, which helps the brain. I'm not sure if I would rather be able to do this Sunday crossword puzzle or get into those jeans I bought 10 years ago. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with DJ Reyes and the Veterans Treatment Court. DJ, as we've been talking about the various veterans and how they are managed in such a supportive environment, I wonder if you could add and and discuss a little bit about our family members included or updated uh, or, or kept in communication with and connected as well, because I imagine this is a relief to them to have their veteran service member included in a veterans treatment court. However, what happens to them? Are they also supported too? Uh, a couple thoughts on that, Linda. Ex- another excellent question. So, for the VA, there is an there's a an organization part of the VA known as the Vet Center. Mm-hmm. The Vet Center is an organization that actually provides services not only for veterans who were in combat and who experienced such conditions as PTSD and TBI, but they also extend that service to their family members, okay. specifically the spouses and the children, because as we all know, the veteran is the one that's going through the combat, but quite honestly. That battlefield, in many cases, has been brought back home to Main Street here in the United States, and it's affecting our families, and we're seeing it. And Mm -hmm. so the VET program, the VET Center, is just one of several programs that I know of that actually wraps their arms around the families as well and looks at this in a very holistic perspective. So that's number one. Number two, the judge, in our case, uh, in Tampa Bay, Judge Holder, um, includes the families. And the examples are countless whether they're wives, uh, girlfriends, uh, fathers, brothers, even children, they're in the courtroom. The judge will actually address them. Many times the veteran will actually approach the bench with the family members themselves, and the judge will actually talk to and address the family and tell them, you are the support network. You are part of our greater family, and oftentimes you're going to be our first tripwire to tell us if something is not going right with the veteran. And so we depend on you. We depend on you to tell us this. We depend on you to work with us. We depend on you to tell us what your issues or your problems or concerns are. And that if there's any way that we can help, of course, we can and we will help. And so in Tampa, and I'm sure I speak for all of the the courts throughout the United States, it is truly a family affair because this is the only way from a community approach that we're going to solve this problem. Excellent answer. I mean, I, I really do believe that everyone serves and together we make a difference, which is why we use that as our tagline on this very program. So this is a good educational platform to pass this message out. 
as you're looking um, at the holistic group of the program, what would you tell veterans who, or family members, because often they are the ones that convey the messages, what is the best way for people to become involved as either mentors or to stand up a, a veterans treatment court in one of the 14 states where there are no treatment courts at this point, or to simply learn more? How is the best way to find that? Another great question, Linda. <laughs> uh, three ways, I believe. Uh, first, check out justiceforvets.org website. It's one word, justice for the, the word for, not the number for, F-O-R, okay. vets, V-E-T-S, dot org. If you get on that, that website, I'm confident that folks that are listening on this, most if not all of their answer or questions are going to be answered by just accessing that website. Okay. Also on the website, you'll see very uh, several celebrities that have actually publicly gone on record to support the VTC. And then most importantly, on the website, there's a little icon with a map of the United States. And if you click it, you can find your state and then you can drill down uh, to your local community. If you have one, it will tell you what you have in your state and in your community. The second way is to check with your local county clerk of court for your VTC point of contact, the judge, and of course, the senior coordinator, such as myself. And then the third way is to check with your local county bar association. See if they have an active military and veterans affair committee. We call it the MVAC, the MVAC. Here in Hillsborough County, I happen to be a current sitting member, board member on it, um, along with our VTC judge, other military, uh, other judges who have military service, as well as other lawyers. Now, this is a powerful organization because these lawyers in particular will provide anywhere from pro bono to uh, graduated fee for services for our local veterans in Hillsborough County for a variety of reasons. And they also do stand downs throughout the county and that where they provide free assistance and advice and free supplies and such. So those are the three ways, I think, quickest ways to find out more about the program and to get involved. You know what I find very interesting is so often vets do not self-identify, especially if they're guard or reserve. So if they're in for, call it a DUI or something like that, and they don't self-identify as a veteran, is there outreach in these courts as well as people knowing about them in advance? But is there any outreach that says, this person is a veteran. They've only been back for two weeks. I happen to know that. And so I'm going to suggest that they get in touch with the Veterans Treatment Court. But how does someone who is in the system already get shifted over to this? Is that a possibility or is that not workable? What, what is, it's always workable, Linda. As I said earlier, it's all about education and advocacy. Number one, the veteran, uh, he or she, First, if they have a problem or they feel they have a problem, they have to, from reflecting within themselves, they have to say, hey, I think I have a problem and I need to self-report. Many times we see many veterans are very proud. They're, they come from a military culture of can do, got to get the mission done. There's no such thing as failure. And so for many of them, that's, that can be their worst downfall, mm -hmm. where they don't want to admit that they have problems. So it's okay. It's okay to raise your hand and to say, I think I have a problem. That's the first thing. The second thing within all of the communities, we're, we're, we're experiencing throughout all of our communities a growing concern for veterans. 
there's a whole bunch of veteran service organizations. I'll just highlight one just to endorse them. Team Red, White, and Blue, um, a national organization built around the premise of camaraderie and community using physical fitness as the key forum, if you will. Blaine Smith is the national executive director, but he happens to be a neighbor of mine. He lives right down the street here in South Tampa. Um, and he has just taken off on this at the national level. And I will tell you, there, if, if you go to your respective team, Red, White, and Blue, and you can look them up online as well, you can find in every state where they're located. You go there, they will, they will, they will take you in and welcome you with open arms. It's just a wonderful organization. But it's just one of many organizations out there that are wrapping their arms around veterans today. Justin. Yep, I'm I'm here and I have a quick question. Well, an observation, observation and question is, is um, you know, I think uh, hearing hearing the stories and the personal stories here, DJ highlights to our viewers that um, that a lot of our veterans are are struggling with some issues, uh, a lot of mental or behavioral health issues, and that this affects their behavior. Um, after deployment or after service, uh, and that's not commonly known, um, and it affects hundreds and hundreds of thousands of us. So I'm, I'm really glad to see that America has taken up the VTCs around our country in, in such a healthy way. I wonder, um, a lot of veterans really love to give back to their communities, uh, and a lot of veterans are leaders in their communities. Have you seen any veterans who have gone through your program who then turn around and want, want to help out more and be part of the solution? Well, well, I would think, um, again, Justin, um, this is a, the VTC is sort of a grassroots uh, movement that is actually then sprouted off in, into, you know, various forums in various states. And I think um, that as veterans, veteran mentors get involved in this program, I think they realize the goodness of this. And so this does, I believe, go to your question of, you know, do they get more involved? I think through this, it opens up many of the veteran mentors' eyes and their hearts when they realize, you know, we have a lot of issues in this country, but I'll tell you what, one of the big ones, one of the big social issues we're having is, is this long, prolonged uh, ex extracting war that we're having now and some of the effects that we're getting from the veterans who have multiple deployments. Mm -hmm. And so what better way than to give back to our community than to give back to the very community of people, of brothers and sisters that we came from. You know, the, the those that are in arms right now that are suffering, that may not in many cases be as fortunate as we are. I think just that alone has sparked so much compassion and passion and effort, not just into the VTC, but then sprouting into other organizations. You know, I think this collaborative compassion is a, is a good way to put this because it truly does take the system, but makes it flexible, which is highly unusual with a, a government process. But the brotherhood is very, very tight uh, among the military. And this is, as Justin said, another way to continue to serve. And so I'll take it that your answer is yes, that some of these graduate and then become mentors themselves, correct? Uh, well, right now, as we speak, we do have one graduate Okay. who we are vetting right now to be a mentor themselves. One of my requirements for the program is that after you graduate, we uh, we in place a six-month cooling period in which mm -hmm. the graduate then has to prove to us and show us that he or she is staying 
clean um, and still involved in the program. And then at that point, then we bring them on for consideration and we vote on it with all the mentors. Excellent. Justin, uh, sorry. Yeah, just real quick. I, uh, on shifting gears of time, I know we only have a couple minutes left, but a friend of mine is a federal public defender in West Virginia, and he and he represented a veteran um, in a similar, similar form. And what I really liked hearing was that the judge took took notice of the veterans' uh, combat service, and that was part of, of the mindset and how they were going to treat this veteran. And it's great to see a little bit of deference placed for those who have gone out in harm's way for us. So that, that was just my quick observation, and, and that's what this VCC is all, the VCCs are all about. Absolutely. Uh, DJ, we have about a minute left. Can you give a summation if you'd like to have any other information go out to our listeners? Because I think this is very helpful information. Yes, I absolutely do. What I would like to say is this to all of our viewing audience. In less than three years here in Tampa, we built a process in which a judge has expertly orchestrated and harvested and harnessed the power of our community, judicial, law enforcement, medical, governmental, charitable veteran support, and volunteer veteran organizations to successfully treat veterans in trouble with the law. We have experienced an 88% success rate at a conservative $30,000 a year to house an inmate. We save our local community taxpayers an estimated $3 million per year. I will tell and you DJ, this. DJ, I'm so sorry. We need to cut you off, but thank you for a fantastic program. We will have you back again. You're listening to Military Network Radio, and we'll look for you next week, Tuesday at 10 a.m. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 